So did, did you ever make the mistake of following the wrong person? So we're in the Algonquin wilderness up in the Canadian Shield, it's the rocky part of northern Canada where there are chains of lakes one after another. Who all has canoed in the Algonquin Provincial Park? Yeah. So we canoed 100 miles. It took a week. It was just like paddling down one long lake after another and sleeping really, really well at night. One day, there was a kid in our youth group, and I want to be charitable. He was eager to lead, but probably not so qualified, but he thought he was. So he's super eager to lead, and we were following this fella, and at one point, somebody said to him, are you sure we're on the right path, we're, the, we're going the right way? And he was very confident, oh yes. And then, the, then instead of a lake, it was kind of like a narrow passage, and then it got narrower and shallower, and somebody said to him, are you sure we're on the right way? And then he said with a little less confidence, yeah. <laughs> After a while, we were up a creek, literally up a creek. <laughs> up a creek or if you're from Ohio a crick we're up a crick it was shallow it was narrow bugs everywhere biting every exposed part of your body I'm the pastor and I wanted to kill this kid real slow by choking him I'm just kidding I don't want to kill him. But it was like, oh, seriously, Ralph? Like, why did we follow this kid? And it was, we're, now we're where we can't even back our, we can't even turn our canoes around because it's so shallow and so narrow. You can't even turn your canoes around. We've got a whole bunch of people have followed this knucklehead into this place. And, I, and then I say, does anybody have, like, GPS? And one of the kids, Robbie, goes, I do. I was like, well, this is a good time to say, you know. He goes, but I don't have a map. I'm like, does anybody have a map? Another guy, like, I have a map. I go, would you guys two get together? Get us out of here. And, the, and they, you know, they got the map out, and they got the GPS, and they said, we're up a creek. I'm like, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> we were so up a creek. But I was very, I was, I was valiant and heroic and, so I decided that I was going to turn our canoe around. We weren't going to paddle backwards like everybody else. I was going to get out, turn our canoe around, which worked out pretty well till I stepped in a hole and fell backward in the mud. And literally from the top of my head to my feet in the back was just like mud. And everybody laughed at me. Did you ever follow the wrong person? Like... Okay, that was funny, right? It's a funny story. We, we got back on track, and I decided never to follow Ralph anywhere again, ever. And if I ever go into the wilderness, I go with a map, a GPS unit, and a really smart person that knows what they're doing. Right? But what if you followed the wrong person in life, and you got up a creek and you realized it was really too late to fix it. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, thank God that's not me because I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm not going to get up a creek. 
Okay, well, good. That's good. Let's just talk a little bit then about all the people you know. Are they going in the right direction? Are they headed to the right place? Are they following the right person? We're going to talk about that today. And this is our last message in our series, Jesus People. We started this really on Good Friday and Easter, if you recall. And we challenged everybody to think about, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a faithful follower of Jesus? And then we said, don't answer too fast. Fast. Let's talk about what it, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Then we introduced this series of Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus describes what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And today, before we're done, I'm going to ask you again, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Not are you a churchgoer, an occasional churchgoer, a pretty good egg, but are you, according to the definition that Jesus gave, a Jesus follower? You're following somebody, somewhere. Are you a Jesus follower? And then the other question that's going to come to us, most of us, we want to answer the, the question that it comes out of that. If you're a Jesus follower, then you are actively seeking to help other people follow Jesus. Otherwise, you really aren't a Jesus follower. And I'll show you why that's true. Well, let's begin now by reading from Matthew 7. This is the, la the, Matthew, the uh, Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And today I'm going to read from Matthew 7, 13 to the end of the chapter, to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and then a couple of verses where they make a commentary about what Jesus said. I think you're going to find this is really fascinating. Jesus has already done his teaching now, and now he's extending the invitation. And when he extends the invitation, when he calls people to follow him, which is really the heart of the whole book, really, when you get through the whole book, you'll see this is what he's saying. I am God. I am the creator God. I am the judge of the universe. Are you going to follow me? Are you going to help others follow me? That's what he's going to say. When he gets to the end, he uses three illustrations, three really powerful, vivid illustrations, and a very pointed challenge See if you see them as we read this. And then there's a commentary, which is very interesting. So we're starting in Matthew 7, and we're reading from 13 to the end of the Sermon on the Mount in verse 29. Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus said. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, enter by it, are many. But the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. That's the first picture. Here's another one. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravening wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So now you've got a picture of gates, two choices. Kind of like trees that represent teachers, you know, two choices. 
Jesus comes to the heart of it then in verse 21 and says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then he gives a third picture of a person that builds their house on the sand, foolish person, person that builds their house on a rock, wise person. The difference between the two is they both hear what Jesus says, but the wise person obeys it, does it. And the foolish person hears it and doesn't do it. Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. This is the person who heard it, what Jesus said, and obeyed it. But then it says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand and the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So Jesus is extending the invitation, using vivid illustration, calling people to follow him, to obey him, to live righteous lives, to choose him. And he's, and he's, and he's warning them that there's going to be a day of judgment, and he's the judge. This would not, this doesn't shock us when we read it, because we've read it before, because we've heard about Jesus' claims of deity and so forth. But the original, think about what it would have been like for a man to stand up on earth and to say these nice moral teachings, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, and oh, by the way, there's going to be a day of judgment and I'm going to be the judge and the ones who pass the judgment get to be with me and the ones who fail the judgment cannot ever be with me and I'll say, depart from me. That is why... Verse 28 says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because he was teaching them as one who has authority and not the scribes. So when people make Jesus, and I like hippies, but, and, and there's a hippie, there was a hippie Jesus movement where hippies came to Jesus and in thousands, it was a movement of God. It was a wonderful thing. But Jesus wasn't just kind of a feel-good, flower-child, hippie guy. Like a lot of people in our culture want to paint him, he says nice things. He says, be loving. He says, you know, be nice. Uh, and, and, you know, he's just kind of a benign character. And then people will say, you know, because you'll hear people say, because I'm like a red-letter Christian. And they're, they're really referring to the, the moral teaching of the Sermon on the Mount as if Jesus was just kind of among the world's great religious teachers giving his version of what would probably be good if he would do it. This is not at all the Jesus of the Sermon on the Mount. As you can clearly see, he is making a bald claim of deity, of lordship, of kingdom, an exclusive claim. You just see some passages of scripture right here as we look at this. Look at what, Jesus, what, what, what the Bible says about Jesus. There is no salvation in any other, or there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's look at this one. Next one. John 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes 
to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. I am the bread of life. There's no salvation in the other. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. Now, if you're on Oprah, and you say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and she's an affable, likable, entertaining human being, she's going to say, how can you possibly say Jesus Christ is the only way? Maybe you work with people that say, how could you possibly say? And then maybe what they're going to say next is they're going to say, what about those who have never heard? Now, this would show, this would tell you that they're not very familiar with all of the Bible, which is the record of God reaching out to people who haven't heard. Because God reaches out to people who haven't heard. Ethiopian eunuch, remember him? He's reading a scroll going, I don't understand what I'm reading. God sends Philip miraculously to him. He describes to him what he's reading. He becomes a believer. He gets baptized. By Cornelius, beautiful, uh, Acts 10, beautiful story in the Bible of Cornelius. Remember him? He's a God-fearer, gives alms, he prays, but he's not a believer. He doesn't understand the gospel, but he wants to. God miraculously overcomes Peter's prejudice against Gentiles with that whole sheet thing, remember? And sends him over to Cornelius. You guys should read this. This It's a great story. Sends him to Cornelius, and Cornelius and his household become Jesus' followers, it shouldn't throw us off when people want to know God. God can send a person to the ministry. That's what we, we do. But he's the only way. Look at some more passages. Let's go to the next screen. John 10. Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He didn't say I'm one of the ways to God. He said I am the way to God. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not enter them, did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me he'll be saved and go in and out and find pasture do you understand jesus claims were exclusive claims i am the creator i am god i am the king i am the only way to god this is so unpopular in our time but we must not ever let go of this truth because he is the only way to god and then we have this first timothy 2 5 there's there's one god one mediator between god and men the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the only way to God. This is really what he's saying. Let's go through this passage and notice these chunks. What you'll notice here, if you will, are three illustrations that Jesus gives and in the middle of a very, very powerful appeal where he acclaims that there's going to be a judgment day and he's going to be the judge. Let's just go through this and then we should ask ourselves, so what should we do about this? Now, now this is powerful stuff. The, the enter by the narrow gate, the gate is wide, the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter are many. Jesus is saying what? He's saying, people who don't know me, don't trust me, don't follow me, they are in the majority. Those who, and it's an easy, broad way. And those who do follow me are in the minority, and it's a hard, narrow way. All throughout, we won't take time to show you, but if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus continually is doing this antithesis. It's this or it's that. It's either or. He's making, he's cutting it very straight for us and very plainly. You, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you cannot have eternal life. Most people don't believe that. He says, that's, don't be surprised by that because the way to destruction is wide and easy and the way to life is narrow and hard. That's what Jesus said. 
And then he talks about prophets or teachers, or, or you could say, you know, false religious teachings and so forth. And he says to beware of false prophets. Prophets, a person who says he's speaking for God, right? Who speaks for God. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but are imminently ravenous wolves. This is important to remember. Everybody bad doesn't look bad. Right? Every bad angel doesn't look like a bad angel. The Bible teaches that, right? Every minister that's bad doesn't look like a bad minister. You know, it kind of sounds weird saying that, being a minister myself, but what you want to do is you want to measure the ministers, the prophets' teaching. Does he or she add to the Bible? Does he or she take away from the Bible? And the Bible says in this particular passage, Jesus says, by your fruits you'll know them. He's probably referring to two things. He's probably referring to by the way they behave and the way their followers behave. This would be in keeping with the, with the uh, theme of the entire passage here, which, said, which is basically going to say the way we can tell if you're genuinely a Jesus follower is we can find a righteous trajectory in your life. You are, this is the kind of stuff you do. This is the direction your life is setting. And don't be confused, you know, I've seen new converts. You say, well, what about a new convert? You wouldn't find righteousness right away in their life. Oh, no, 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 that, that's not true. It's amazing how when a person comes to faith, their orientation changes toward their sin and toward God and you can see they have an appetite for what's good, and they start immediately to move toward that and desire that and want that. And that is evidence that their conversion is genuine. And Jesus is going to warn that it is possible to say, Lord, Lord, and be involved in miraculous things and look good and, and yet be completely lost forever in hell. And he's, this is a very stern warning that he uses three different illustrations so that we won't lose it. This is really important that we examine ourselves and that we're gracious to others, but we also like, care about, like, are your children followers of Jesus or not? Are your neighbors followers of Jesus or not? Like, this is not a small thing. How many friends do you have on Facebook? Are they followers of Jesus or not? You think about that? Like, like I know you're thinking, you think, well, wait a minute, I, I don't know that I can lead my neighbors to the Lord. Okay. You, you can't control that, right? They have to decide if they're going to follow the Lord. But here's what you can do if they let you. If you're gracious about it, you can say, you can go to hell if you want to. You don't want to say this to them, but in your heart, if you want to go to hell, you can. But you have to crawl over me to get there. Because I am going to love you, and I am going to pray for you, and I am going to creatively ask if I can make the gospel plain to you or get the gospel to you in a plain way so that your goal, maybe with your neighbors and your friends, isn't going to be, I converted all of them, because you can't control that. It's like, if they went to hell, they knew what that guy across the street believed, and they could tell you what he believed, and they rejected it. Right? This is the way, when we read this, and we see what Jesus said, how can we not have that kind of disposition toward this? Like, they, like everybody who doesn't know Jesus is lost and going to hell. And those who know Jesus say, have eternal bliss to look forward to and fellowship with the Lord and the inheritance, and, and, and we could go on and on. So he says, beware of false prophets. And, and three things, do they, do they add to the Bible? Do they take away from the Bible? Do they or their followers, is, is their behavior consistent with what they teach? If they teach is true, and they can produce that behavior in their life and in their followers, that would be the fruit of that. And Jesus says, every tree 
that doesn't bear good fruits cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Do you, you know, just to keep this in mind, Peter said, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And we don't want the wrong impression. That doesn't mean that we have to conjure up our, our own righteousness. But what, it does, what the Bible does teach is that salvation is by grace through faith alone, through the righteousness of Christ. And when we receive that, the Holy Spirit lives in us and begins a work of sanctification, which is evident that we, have, that we are becoming more and more righteous, sinning less frequently, with less intensity, and with more grief. And if that is not true about you, you should examine your profession because it is possible to be a false professor. And that's why it's so good. I've done this over and over myself in areas of my life right now. It's like the Spirit says to me every day, Ken, you say you're a Jesus follower. Are you going to be a Jesus follower when it comes to forgiving this enemy? You say you're a Jesus follower. Are you going to be a Jesus follower when it says love your enemy or not? Are you going to follow me in the area where everything in you finds it hard to follow? To the point of lordship, right? What is it with you that makes the, the gate narrow and the way hard? And understand, it is narrow and hard. It's actually impossible, Jesus said. But he will supernaturally strengthen you to follow him. Are you tracking with me? I think that's what the passage is teaching now. Jesus gets very, very clear now in verses 21 through 23 where he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So I don't want to be offensive here, but like people that follow the teaching of Buddha and reject the deity of Christ, would they be saved or not saved? Well, according to Jesus, not. People that, that maybe would follow the teaching of Muhammad, but they would reject Jesus being God, our Savior, who died and was buried and rose again, would they be believers or unbelievers? They would be unbelievers. If they rejected that, they would be lost. Would they be going to heaven or hell? Well, you don't have to be shy about this. Jesus was very clear about this. People who are in religious systems that reject Jesus are lost. The Bible is not foggy about this. It's plain throughout the Bible. You can't say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but we just accept all the religions of the world as equal. That cannot possibly be true. It's a little bit like the other day I ran a red light down here. I'm just confessing. I was preoccupied with something on my mind. I got down to the corner here of, uh, what is this road? Springport Road and Airport, and I went right through a red light. I mean, I just, just totally ran the red light. Cuff me, officer, I'm confessing. And I was like, and everybody just stopped and beeped at me. They were kind of nice. They were like, beep, like, hey, you just ran the red. Nobody got all weird or anything. They were just like, and I just went through, my heart started beeping. Like, wow, I, I could have got T-boned right there. But listen to me, I was sincere. I was very sincere. I had to think about it before I realized I ran a red light. I was sincerely wrong and could have been dead. God wouldn't look down and go, well, you know, you were sincere, so the law doesn't apply to you. The laws of nature don't apply to you. He has given us the truth. Jesus is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You don't go to heaven without him. Your neighbors don't go to heaven without him. Your kids don't go to heaven without him. He, nobody in the world goes to heaven without Jesus Christ, without being saved by the blood of Christ. Jesus is saying that, 
listen, of course we recognize those, maybe those other religions that rejected Jesus Christ, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about people who profess to be Christians. They say, Lord, Lord, to Jesus. And they have performed miraculous deeds. <laughs> it says it right here. On that day, meaning the day of judgment, many will say to me, this is Jesus standing as judge in the day of judgment, and people answering to him, many will say to me, he says, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? That's the name of Jesus. Cast out demons in the name of Jesus. Do mighty works in the name of Jesus. These are not Muslims or Buddhists or Hindu or Mormons. These are, well, Mormons would be included. In the name of Jesus. This is serious stuff. That wouldn't it be wise for us while we still can to carefully ask God to examine our hearts to see if our faith is genuine so that we would never come to a place like this where we would say, Lord, Lord, and he said, I don't really know you. And the worst thing that could ever happen to a person, depart from, at this point, Jesus doesn't say burn in hell, though he does talk about hell more than anybody. But he says, what he says is worse than eternal conscious torment. He says, depart from me. Okay, this is a powerful thing. I, I jotted some things down, a handful of things that you might be aware of. I can give you these if you're interested. Let me tell you, seven things in this passage uh, that, that it teaches us about who Jesus is. One, Jesus is the ultimate authority, right? He's always saying in this, you've heard, but I say, and you're going to answer to me in judgment. He's the ultimate authority. He's uniquely the son. Jesus said, not our father here, but he said, my father in a unique way. God is uniquely Christ Father. Third, Jesus Lord, Kurios, said to me, Lord, Lord. And if you're not Lord and you reverence God, you always correct people if they call you Lord, right? He didn't do that because he is the Lord. Thomas, my Lord and my God. That's what we come to. He's the Lord. He's the ultimate authority. He's uniquely the Son. He's Kurios, the Lord. This is a special term when used of Christ, it indicated deity. And number four, he's the ultimate judge. We've said this, but Jesus is assuming absolute ultimate authority over the souls of men. The basis of entrance into heaven is whether or not Jesus knows you. And then the presence of Jesus is the greatest reward of heaven. We already said that. The absence of Jesus implied is the greatest horror of hell. And seventh, this claim of ultimate authority it was recognized by everyone around him, even his enemies. That's what it says in verses 28 and 29. They were shocked about what he said because he spoke with authority. So authority, two different kinds of authority in the Bible. One is, one is that you have covenantal authority, and the other one is like you have power. Jesus had both. And, and so Jesus, he can deliver what he promises, good and bad, good for us, bad for us. His judgment is, is good and right. Now, let's talk about his judgment briefly before we move to the rest of this. When you think about Jesus as being judged, that might be just like scary sobering to you, and it should be. If your Savior is your judge, though, isn't there a Michael Card song that says, I, I look into my judge's eyes, and I see a Savior there. 
my judge is my savior if I flee to the cross, right? So yes, I have a judge, and he is smiling. He's my savior. So if you're a believer, it's okay. Jesus is your judge. He's your savior. If you're not a believer, it's horrifying. Here's another piece that you should think about, and that is there are a lot of things in this world that somebody should make right. Am I right? Have you had things in your life that should be made right and they've never been made right? The people that have hurt you have never had to account for it? Are the people that have sinned against you and it looks like they're doing better than you are? Can I get a witness in the house anywhere? Nod. Yeah, yeah. When we come to this, it should encourage us on a couple of counts. So I think of my enemy and I think, well, you're going to face God in judgment. Why don't you come over here with me and kneel at the cross so that we can both have our judge is our savior. And then you never have to face God in judgment because you judged your own sin and took it to the cross. So how beautiful is that? Now then Jesus concludes this with another illustration which is very powerful. And let's not miss what he's talking about. So he's talking about what? In this matter of building your house on the sand or building your house on the rock, what is he talking about? How is he using that illustration? He's saying a wise man builds a house on a rock and a foolish man builds a house on a sand and when the storm comes, the one with the house on a sand is destroyed, the one with the house on a rock stands. What is he talking about though? What are these pictures analogous to? This should be very clear to us because it's important. What do both of these guys have in common? They, they're building a house? They have a choice? I like that. We're talking back and forth. Well, there's something else that's kind of subtle here. I'm going to read it, then you tell me what else they have in common. You're right. These are right. There's more. Every, and I'll do a little emphasis just to make it really clear. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. Right? Verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. What do they have in common? They both have heard the words of Jesus, just like you have today. Right? Is that what you're saying? There's more I missed. Yeah. They both heard. And one of them practiced what Jesus said. And the other one didn't practice what Jesus said. It didn't say what I believed in. No, it didn't believe. That's true. But what Jesus is teaching, and it's consistent with the teaching of Paul and the, and the apostles, of course. The apostles' teaching was from Jesus. It's the same thing. What he's teaching is genuine faith behaves. The epistles teach this too. Genuine faith behaves a certain way. And one of the evidences that our faith is genuine is it behaves a certain way. We hear and we do. You, do we do it perfectly? No, we don't do it perfectly. Uh, but we do it progressively. And we do it sincerely. We hear what Jesus says, and it's binding on us, right? This is how you can tell a person's a Christian. They heard, and it's binding on them. You can't just say, well, I'm a Christian that doesn't forgive my enemies. I'm a Jesus follower that's not baptized. What? 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 That's, how can you say that? I'm a Jesus follower but I don't do what he says. Well, then guess what? Not a Jesus follower. Beware of false prophets. Watch out for the wide way. Go the narrow way. Beware of false prophets. 
Examine the fruit. Don't build your house on the sand. Don't just hear stuff that makes you feel good. Imagine that I'm in debt. Imagine I'm in huge debt. And every week I get my bills out. Maybe just Lois and I, we say, hey, let's talk about our huge debt. And we get together and we arrange our bills on a table. Lois says, this week let's alphabetize the bills. I'm like, okay. And we alphabetize the bills. And let's say that she has a cute little thing. She puts them in ABC. And then we put them in a drawer. And then we go out for dinner. Like, what's wrong with that picture? You might have felt good about your bills, but you're still in debt. People do that at church all the time. They hear God talk, religious songs. Maybe they even go and do things in Jesus' name. But, but it's like they never really, the bills never really get paid. They're just kind of religious, you know, religious jargon, feel-good kinds of things. Are you a Jesus follower? Is, are his commands binding on your soul? This is how we know if you really are a child of God. A miraculous thing happened. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and he demands your loyalty, and it's a sweet demand. His burden is light. It's, it's like, no, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. Whose authority am I under? Like, I'm under the elder's authority here. Do I like that or not like that? I like that. Why? Because the Bible says that I have people whose authority I'm under. So I run to that, and I, I, I embrace that. It, you know, if I had gotten pulled over by, a, you know, a minister of righteousness, and he would have said, Ken, you ran the red light. Honestly, my parents taught me this, and you know, it's different for other people. I understand this, but in my circumstance, I, I would just say, officer, you're right. I was wrong. I appreciate you doing your job. This, will, this, this, this is going to be a warning to me. I, I fear God. Thank you for what you did. He'd be like, you're weird. But you know, that, that'd be like, but that, I've had it happen a few times, not for a long time. I've had a few times, like, okay, I needed that. I needed that. That day, did I lose? I came home and I said, Ma, fear of God today. I said, I could have been killed. I stopped and I thought, Lord, help me to be safe and undistracted when I'm driving. Lois is like, were you texting? I'm like, no, I was just thinking about something else. You, if you hear the word of God, it will make you feel good. But if you don't do the word of God, you may not even be saved. That's what Jesus is saying. So, how many of you, real quick, would just hands up, hands down, we won't belabor this, you would say, I, thank you, Pastor, I'm with you, I believe all what you said, and I am a Jesus follower. Raise your hand up real high, put it back down. That's kind of what I thought. Most of you would say you are, and I don't see a lot of evidence of the contrary. So, praise the Lord. This is the big idea of the message. Follow Jesus. But if you're a Jesus follower, help others follow Jesus. Now, where do I get this? Here's where Matthew is going with this. He's going to, he's going all the way to uh, Matthew 28, where he says, Jesus in the post-resurrection appearance gives the great commission or the great the commandment to go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. Doesn't teach them to memorize everything I've commanded you. You know, if your mom sends you to your room and she says, I want you to go to your room and I want you to clean your room, you clean your room. You don't say, I memorized your command in English and in Greek, right? You don't say, Mom, I love the way you said clean your room. I have it on a card on my mirror. Like, yeah, but your room isn't clean. I know, but I love your words. I have a song about clean your room. You're like, bro, clean your room right now. 
I want to hear your song, right? <laughs> I kind of borrowed that from Francis Chan, by the way. Anyway, this, so he's going to say, follow Jesus and help others follow. So he says, if you're following me, he says, go into all the world and make disciples and teach them to observe the things I've commanded you, then you're not really following unless you're somehow on a team helping others follow. So let's go to the next screen. We will talk about this at length later. But I want you just to see this Bethel wheel. We, this has been, this was put together by all the elders. And we worked really hard for many, many hours on this. And all the elders have prayed over this and have a oneness of mind about this. We want you to understand, when you say, well, we're, okay, pastor, you say I'm supposed to be a disciple and make disciples, how? And the elders have taken it upon themselves, like Ephesians 4.11 says, to equip the saints to do this. This is the theory that we have. This we we kind of call this simple church. And this would represent how the wheel, how to make disciples. They come to church. People come to church. Maybe this is where they come in. Maybe not. And there's preaching and corporate singing and giving and so forth. There's that. And this is very good and very powerful, but it's not all there is to it, right? Because if you grew in the Lord, it's because you had somebody kind of up in your business, talking to you, praying for you, applying what the pastor said and that. And that would be in either, in, and this is the grow part, come grow. This might be a small group, or this might be just you have a prayer partner, or this might be you have a, a, a woman, two women get together, they pray together, they meet, they have, they have tea, they talk. It could look a whole bunch of different ways. This could be your ladies' Bible study or your Bible study fellowship to some degree. But it's more like, I look at it like this. We spray the truth out, and you are like little pot bottles, and we spray the truth out on Sunday morning, and the water gets in the bottles. But when you get into a group or a one-on-one where we're really talking about, are you loving your wife? It's like somebody takes the nozzle and sticks it down the neck of the bottle, and you really get cranking right there. And there you have prayer and Bible doing and one another's. And when you do this, when you come to big church and then you have some expression like this where you're growing and applying, then what happens is you find a place to serve on either ministry team and or missional teams. That was just like super fast. I just want you to know, you don't understand all that yet because I haven't described it carefully to you, but there is a plan is what I'm saying. The leaders of this church have a plan. If you have a better plan, we're just going to go for that. But if you don't, we have a gentle plan, not a heavy program but a gentle kind of way of living to help you in that. The, the, here's what we want to, here's, here's the important thing you need to answer right now. Am I a Jesus follower? Let's go back to this other side. And following Jesus means I'm helping others follow Jesus. And if you're sitting here going, I want to do that, but I'm scared. Good, that's okay. You're in the right place. We'll show you how to do this. Years ago, we, the, the Assemblies of God Church in town had a outreach for kids and it was called hell stop it was like a haunted house evangelistic ministry thing and it was based on a, a a make-believe thing where some teens got in drinking and carrying on and they got into a crash and they died and they went to hell and you'd go through it kind of like you'd go through a haunted house and you'd see the kids partying and then you'd see their accident and then the car is upside down it was actually pretty cool wheel spinning, beer cans laying around, kids pretending they were dead laying on the ground, and you go to the next place, and then, and then there was hell. There's people in hell crying out in hell. God, help me, you know, I'm in pain. Can somebody get me out of here, you know? They said, we're, we're going to need counselors. Would you help? I'm like, yeah, I'm in. I'll, I'll help. Here's how they did it. After the kids all went from the party to the accident to hell. Then they went into this tent and they had a brief appeal that was kind of like, 
where, which direction are you going to take? And at the, front of the, at the front of the tent, there was a door that said hell. And it was like, and they would say, if you, sh- if you want to go to hell, go through that door. And then there's another door that said, if you know for sure that you're a believer in Jesus and you're going to heaven, go through that door. And the very front, in the middle, though, was a door with a question mark. And they said, but if you have a question about this and you want somebody to talk to you, go through that door. And on the other side of that door were these bales of hay and then pastors and Christian workers from all over town. It was so sweet that night to see the kids coming through, burned about their soul, the reality of heaven and hell, their sin. They sit down with them on that bale of hay and just tell them about Jesus and how they could be saved. I remember thinking, man, this is sweet. You know, it was kind of a weird thing, right? It was, you know, but it's better than most people don't do anything. And we don't have any doors painted up, but here's my appeal to you. Most of you already are Jesus followers. What I'm saying is, hey, will you come and sit on one of those bales of hay with me? I'll show you what to do. Because people are going to be coming through the door. And they're going to have a question on their heart. They're going to have a wayward loved one, they're going to have trouble, they're going to have a troubled heart, they're going to be morally or sexually confused, they're going to be guilty of things. In our world we're living in today, I'm just going to say, I'm I'm just so shocked, so brokenhearted. In the state of Illinois, they pass a law, do you know this weekend, this this goes to the Senate in Illinois, they can take the life of a baby up to the moment before birth is going to be legal. As soon as the, as soon as the, the, they have a, 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 uh, governor that's eager to sign that bill into law. You and I live in a country where you can murder a full-grown baby as long as it didn't get born yet in some of this. Okay, that's wicked, right? Amen? You think that's wicked? Because I'm not preaching well enough if you don't think it is. That's just perverse. That's sick. I mean, I'm just asking, is it okay to murder? Jesus, you can't say, I'm a Jesus follower, but I think murder's okay. No, no. Murder a baby? Like, this is the world we live in. So, what, so there are going to be mothers out there. There are going to be gr- girls out there in difficult situations who yielded to this kind of thing, and they're going to be so burdened with guilt and brokenness, they're going to need somebody on that veil of pay to talk with them. And this is the kind of church that we want to be. So there you go. Jesus people are people who follow Jesus, and they help others follow Jesus. If you're not sure how that works, we'll show you how to be on a team 